Hey folks, it's Sheely. This is Command and Signal, a limited run podcast about veterans, propaganda, and other bullshit. Today, we are going to talk about being transgender. So a move that sparked a lot of heated debate tonight, President Trump shatters yet again another Obama-era policy, issuing a brand new ban, this time on transgender people in the military. Yes, we base gender off of physical sex or genitalia because that's what you are, male or female, penis or vajayjay. Just because you identify as something else doesn't make it true. The military's job is to put bullets in bad guys. If you think adding an, un- an additional variable like transgenderism, whatever that is. Um, I'm identifying as an Apache attack helicopter. That- that's what I am. So please refer to me as AH-64 from now on, please. Here's the thing. While stats would say that you've all met someone who's gay, lesbian, bisexual, non-binary, transgender, and anything else that exists within the LGBTQ uh, acronym, I know that there's a fair bit of people that don't actually know that they were talking to someone within that community, which I think in and of itself might say something, but we'll leave that for you to ponder. When we talk about being gay in the military, there's a lot there. Don't ask, don't tell, homophobia, violence. But I also think that there is a conversation happening both within and without the military. Much like gay marriage in and of itself, there seems to be a very rapid trajectory towards acceptance. Uh, Maybe not so much so that there isn't still discrimination, bigotry, and homophobia, but the idea of being homophobic is now considered, oh, that's a bad thing. Or maybe it wasn't back in the 90s. So I'm actually going to let being gay in the military sit. And that's not to say there isn't something to say. Like I said, homophobia, discrimination that all still exists within the military and without within the veteran community. But other folks are talking. And so I'm just going to let them talk. I don't need to add anything. Instead, I want to talk about the experience of people who are transgender. Because that is not a conversation I heard happening often in the military myself. And quite frankly, I think it's a conversation that is a bit toxic in the veteran community. It's a topic that also a lot of folks don't know a lot about. And that's okay. I'm not here to judge you. As Mo was talking about in episode two, we shouldn't indict people for not knowing something. We should talk to them. And furthermore, this is a new topic to a lot of folks. A topic that doesn't really make sense to them. And that's okay. And if you're one of those people, I'm going to spare you a lot of the academic stuff. There is academic stuff on this, but instead of that, I'm simply just going to introduce you to somebody. Her name's Hannah. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I can't complain. Tell us about yourself. So I think probably in the relation to why we were talking today, uh, I am a transgender veteran, uh, but I, I would say that's actually one of the least interesting aspects of who I am. But it, it seems to be kind of the perennial definition for how other people see me when they learn that fact. Uh, but I would say that I'm just a veteran like anybody else in that, you know, I happen to be trans. So being trans is such a small aspect of my life, but it had no impact on my ability to serve. Um, I was a former aerial gunner um, and I flew 20 combat missions in Iraq. Uh, after that, I was in the C-5s. And 
you know, I had multiple stops in Afghanistan. And during these five years that I was in the Air Force, not once did my uh, gender identity or however you would want to phrase it, you know, impeded my ability to contribute uh, to the mission and to contribute to my fellow uh, soldiers and airmen. So I, I would say I'm a, a veteran that just happened to be trans and kind of take it away from there. Did, um, you know, you talk about, you know, how this did not impact your ability to effectively be a, an aerial gunner uh, on your deployment to Iraq and uh, it didn't affect your ability to do your job and you were just an altogether effective airman and you're just a veteran. Um, so I think that there's some, ob- there's some questions here. I can imagine that the audience is having, you know, some first question I think would be, did you have a firm grasp on what your gender identity was? And then also further extending out to that, did, did your uh, fellow airmen know? At the time, uh, I, I think I always kind of knew, but it was something that, I wasn't able to find anybody that I related to so I convinced myself otherwise. Um, at the time, my other man did not know. Uh, since I've transitioned, everybody that I've served with has actually been very receptive. Uh, I think the only real negative pushback I got was when I was in San Francisco and I explicitly didn't see one of uh, my old buddies because I was afraid of him finding out and he later got back to be pissed because uh, not because I was trans, but because I used that as an excuse not to see him after, I think, five years at the time uh, since I last saw him. So um, I'm in a little bit of a, a different uh, boat than those actively serving as, you know, I wasn't uh, transitioning while I was in service. Uh, but, you know, having transitioned and having been through that process, I, I can, can say how it would apply to what my status was within the military and nothing within this transition would have prevented me from being able to, you know, do what I was able to accomplish. You know, I, I know that you serve on the, on the board of a, a national organization, modern military. And so one of the questions I would have would be, what did you guys hear? Or what did you hear from folks who are still in that are that were in the middle of transitioning when the ban came down. What's it been like for them? What has their experience been like? Uh, the, their experience has been uh, very interesting because a lot of cases where we've seen uh, you know people kind of caught in between these two policies, they've actually had commands and uh, you know the fellow soldiers, airmen, sailors actually be very supportive of their transition because, you know, they do have a reputation within the unit or squadron about how good of a, whatever their MOS or FSC is. Um, so it, it, it's a weird dichotomy where you have, uh, you know, individuals within uh, the top brass kind of, disparaging their ability, but you have uh, their immediate command actually coming up and being very supportive of the transition and of the work overall. And I, I, I think we would do a lot of events where we would, you know, meet with, you know, senators and, you know, Congress uh, men and women who had a say on um, 
the status of transgender service members and on the band itself. And when they actually spoke with active duty trans service members, the conversations invariably shifted from how being trans impacts the mission to what they specifically contributed to the military. And when that narrative is shifted, you get into seeing the value and contribution they actually do add to our national defense and to our overall security. Like in your experience, the current active duty service member, and that's not to say all experiences uh, are the same because Lord knows, I'm sure there's somebody that's having a real shitty experience, but um, there's a lot of progress being made. A lot of people who were, uh, that are in the active duty, in the trenches, have commands that are supporting them That because they got to know them. They're going, this this person does the job. I don't know what, what our problem is here. Um, and yet we see such commotion on the internet. Um, we see such commotion on, on social media. So... I guess where I'm going with this is, is is it your then interpretation that it's not even being driven by the people who are currently in the military, but it's being driven by people who are either A, out of the military, people who have nothing to do with the freaking military, but they just want to drive these aggressive, angry points? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think pretty much uh, you're, you're head up, you're right on with uh, that last point. And, you know, I, I do want to you know, reiterate that there are people that are struggling because of um, discrimination and bigotry within the armed forces. So I don't want to minimize any of those experiences, but I think overall um, the rank and file have been supportive of, you know, trans service members. And if you go back a little bit, I don't want to bore you with the academics, but um, the military and the DOD conducted uh, a study to the Rand Corporation looking to see what the operational impact would be to allowing trans service members. And their overall uh, conclusion was to remove this ban. So this ban is purely a political instrument and nothing to do with force readiness, uh, costs, or, you know, anything else outside of, you know, political machinations and outdated viewpoints held by, you know, a few within our current administration. I want to trans. I want to transition here. Um, you know, we've we've talked about the experiences of people that are in the military. So now I want to talk a little bit about what it's like being uh, a veteran who's transgender. Um, what is that like? What's it like going to the VA? So I, I think it's kind of going back to my introduction. If a provider, especially within the VA or military sphere, sees me as Hannah Tripp and not as a transgender veteran. My experience is rapidly different than if they are introduced to me as a transgender individual or veteran and not as the person who I really am. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of preconceptions that are associated with being trans. So that even kind of falls into medical care. So if you have an issue that is completely unrelated to know your transition that somehow becomes the focal point for any initial um, help or condition that you might have otherwise um, whether it be medical uh, mental 
what have you. So I, I think it really depends on how you're perceived by these different providers. I think being an openly trans person within the VA is overall a negative experience. Uh, I, I think there are exceptions to that rule, but I think the uh, individuals in the VA that do try to propel the organization to make sure they're treating all veterans, but I, I think there's a lot of room for improvement overall. You know, before I give you a call, I was trying to think about what, I think that there's a question that somebody who um, is being very genuine and curious, but just wouldn't ask because it might be uncomfortable. So I'm going to ask for them. What is the difference between transgender and gay? So, I mean, I think with a lot of problems and even communicating about this issue is that a lot of people are afraid to ask these questions because they're afraid of being perceived as offensive. But I think it's important for these questions to be asked so that people really understand what uh, this population is and what is going on. So I, I appreciate you asking that. And, um, you know, being gay is uh, basically who you are attracted to. Where being uh, trans is related to what gender you identify with. And I, I say identify with very, very loosely because um, it, it's increasingly becoming uh, known that trans individuals have a biological uh, component that is kind of the predecessor for why they have this feeling of uh, being associated with something other than their birth gender. But, um, you know, I would say just being gay is based on who you're attracted to and being trans is who and what gender you identify with. And I would absolutely remove who and what gender you identify with. So then that would mean for, for the person that asks this, um, that you can be transgender and straight. You can be transgender and gay. You can be, um, cisgendered and straight and cisgendered is gay. Is that correct? Yeah, that would be uh, correct. And, I know there's a lot of concerns about, you know, people taking advantage of the situation by just arbitrarily self-identifying as, you know, uh, a woman or man or, you know, that I'm sure we've all seen the meme of, you know, self-identifying as an Apache helicopter. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's, there's so much more to that. Uh, it, it's not something that you just wake up and say, hey, I'm, you know, a man or a woman and I'm suddenly going to be called or treated like that. It's a, it's a very intensive process both within and outside the military to actually make that happen, whether it be through legal mechanisms or medical treatment, uh, what have you. So there isn't really this arbitrary, casual nature that it sometimes is betrayed as. Um, it, it does take a lot to actually transition and get to a point where people feel comfortable within uh, the body and within who they are. I can see one talking about, you know, there being someone who thinks that gender's binary, that think that sexuality's binary, they think that everything is just binary. It's just you're you're a man, you're a woman, you're just you're this or you're that. Um, what would you what would you say to that person? I, I would say to that person that if you're looking in the context of military and our service members, is 
you're trained as you are in the army, uh, sorry, you're in the Marines, uh, you know, you're a Marine first. So it, it's irrelevant. It, it, your gender is inconsequential to your job and your ability to perform that job and the standards that you're expected to meet. Um, it's, it's all about accomplishing the mission. So I would be that person that's um, transgender, that's male, that's female, not as their gender or gender identity first, but as their status as a Marine, an airman, a sailor, and base your decisions off the performance and what they've been able to accomplish. Because a lot of times, if you look at those who are currently transgender and serving, they have to be at the top of the field in order to remain where they are. And their contributions to this nation are beyond extraordinary, regardless of um, their status of being transgender. So, you know, I, I would just encourage people to look at the individual as an individual and not be wrapped up within these other labels or misnomers or preconceptions that might be surrounded with an individual being trans because once you get to know the individual, you're really able to see what accomplishments they're able to achieve and what impact they really do have on the mission. So without, um, well, I guess two put words in your mouth, but so that you don't have to say it, um, are you are you saying that you would basically say, how about you just fuck off and um, it like what do you, what do you care like what do you care like who gives a shit just fuck off is that what you're saying? No, not at all. I, I, I think <laughs> I, 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 I mean I, I I think it's better that these questions are addressed in an intelligent format, and that's what I would emphasize more than anything because people are always going to come up with their own bigotries and preconceptions and communication is the only way to kind of resolve that. And if you look at previously marginalized demographics within the military, how they were able to overcome these preconceived prejudices is by just demonstrating their value and doing so in such extraordinary ways. And I think we need to continue to have that conversation to allow people to feel free to ask these questions so they get a better understanding of what the realities are of transitioning and how that impacts uh, service members' ability to continue to fight and continue to support the mission, as well as to just really humanize the individual for being an individual. And really, from that, you're able to see the value they add to our defense and to the mission. Uh, but I, I think it all comes back to allowing this discussion and allowing these individuals' accomplishments to be seen and not them to be thwarted by outside agendas or uh, misguided biases. All right. So I so, think the conversation in of itself, whatever the answer is, is a good one. All right. So, so that we can let our audience um, get to know you, because Lord knows the the framework of this conversation does kind of go against some of the stuff that you've been saying. So, um, so let's, let's embrace that. So quick, quick rapid fire here. <clears throat> what is your favorite movie? Oh, that's not quick. Um, come on. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm talking about now. I don't know. Oh my God. Okay. What, what about your favorite, uh, band? Oh, that's also variable too. But, uh, I don't know if we're going with the podcast now thing, the doors. Okay. And what about uh what about your favorite Marvel superhero? 
I don't have one. You don't have a favorite Marvel superhero? I grew up in video games, not comics. Okay, well, what's your favorite video game then? Jesus, come on. <laughs> I, I don't know. Mario Kart's pretty dope. Uh, whoa, whoa, you know, okay. That, that opens or Donkey Kong all day long. Hold on, that opens up a whole big, big bag of worms. What is the superior Mario Kart? Is it Super Mario Kart, Mario Kart 64, Mario Kart for the GameCube, which name I forget, or the Mario Kart for the Switch? Which is the superior Mario Kart? Mario Kart 64. Oh, thank goodness. See, this is this is why it's important to have these conversations so that people can go like, oh, well, like, Pamela likes Mario Kart 64. That's a good point. Outstanding. It is a very good point. I know. I'm on two years to see if you have a counter, uh, counter argument to that. I don't have a counter argument. Mario Kart 64 is the superior Mario Kart. That is, is common knowledge. Anyone who would argue differently is wrong. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm going to close it up here. Um, I really appreciate you you coming on and talking with me. I know that um, I know that you embrace the idea of having these conversations, but I also know that they they can be uncomfortable at times. So I want to close up shop with just saying I'm an ignorant dude. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. So if there's something I didn't ask or bring up that you think is important for people to think about, have at it. I mean, I, I would really just kind of reiterate the theme of this entire conversation is that, you know, not get caught up in preconceptions of what people or what you think being trans is, but kind of actually see the person and the individual for who they are, because this is why support for LGBT individuals and for trans individuals have drastically increased over the last few years because they've actually been able to have people that are openly serving and see who they are and be able to kind of gauge their uh, opinion on this matter based off of these individual performances and, and not stereotypes or preconceptions. So I, I think uh, a lot of people, um, if you come in with an open mind, are more than happy to discuss it with you. Um, but at the end of the day, trans service members are not asking for any special privileges. They're not asking for any accommodations. They're asking for the ability to continue to serve like they've already been doing so even before the initial repeal of the ban in 2016 and even more so in the last two years. And that they haven't, suffered or the units haven't suffered any decreased mission capability or lethality because of it. So um, I think it's kind of a redundant uh, point that I'm hopping on, but you know, don't be afraid to ask these questions, but when you ask them, come in with an open mind because it's through these discussions that we ultimately go forward. Well, thank you. It was very well said. I appreciate you, Hannah, and uh, I'm going to let you go. Thank you. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate you taking the time to do this and, uh, you know, coming in with an open mind and uh, good questions. That was Hannah Tripp. She's an Air Force veteran, transgender woman, and former board member of Modern Military. To close this out, I want to revisit something that Hannah said because I want that to sit with you for a bit. I am a transgender veteran, uh, but I, I would say that's actually one of the least interesting aspects of who I am. But it, it seems to be kind of the perennial definition for how other people see me when they learn that fact. Uh, but I would say that I'm just a veteran like anybody else, and that, you know, I happen to be trans. 